It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How's it going with you? Well, you know, I've gone through all the questions. I've looked up my photos. I've tried to piece this all together. Oh, don't worry, man. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like 15 years of, 15 years of, oh, uh, yeah, when did that happen? <laughs> Hey, Kubrick fans and worldwide friends. Thanks for tuning in to Kubrick's Universe once again. In this episode, we're going to hear from incredible model maker, the very talented and cooler nerd than you will ever be, Mike Scott. Mike is a model maker, science fiction nut, and self-confessed nerd. He was a child during the Apollo space program in the 60s, and at six years old, was blown away when he saw 2001 A Space Odyssey in the cinema with his dad. After eventually working out what was real and what was just a movie, he continued his obsession. He started off doing what's called kit bashing, which is basically creating his own unique models from parts of other existing model kits. And then he moved on to detailed model and costume replicas in the 1970s, whether it was Kisses Gene Simmons or Darth Vader, Mike won costume contests as a teenager, and then eventually he met and worked with special effects legend Greg Nicotero, who gave him a very special commission to make an exact replica of the Clavius Moonbase spacesuit from 2001 A Space Odyssey. This suit has been displayed in exhibits around the world, including the annual science fiction convention Escape Velocity at the Museum of Science Fiction in 2018 on the 2001 50th anniversary. His replica spacesuit was featured also at the Envisioning 2001 Stanley Kubrick's Space Odyssey exhibition, which premiered in January 2000 at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, New York, to much acclaim. Mike spends an incredible amount of time just researching to make sure his work is as close to, if not better, than the originals. And now you'll hear him talk about how he went about creating one of the most iconic costumes in the history of cinema. Mike also shares with us stories about his appearance on Adam Savage's great show, Mythbusters, as well as working with ILM, Dungeons and Dragons, 
meeting real-life astronauts, as well as make-believe ones. So kick back, grab a tray of TV dinner-looking space food, don't burn your fingers, and join us in listening to this great conversation with Mike Scott. But whatever you do, don't leave your space helmet in the pod bay. I mean, if for no other reason, you just can't replace headphones that sound that good. I'm your host and humble narrator, Jason Furlong, welcoming you once again through the prism of the slit scan and into Kubrick's universe. Mike, let's start at the beginning. When did you first see 2001, A Space Odyssey? I mean, how old were you? And do you remember your specific first impressions? Uh, yeah, actually, it did leave a huge impression on me. I'm a child of the 60s, so in 68, I was like six, six years old. And my parents were also into kind of science fiction fantasy. So we always went to the outdoor theaters to see them when they came out. So yeah, April 68, I was at the Starlight Outdoor Theater with the old Plymouth backed into the slot, had the back (laughs) of the thing open, and we were all lying there watching this space saga. And, you know, this was 68. And of course, the Apollo... Um, program was going on and, you know, I was all involved in that and was making my own scrapbook and, you know, was also signed up for the man in space booklets and the stickers Mm. and the Apollo moon model and all this. And yeah, I mean, I, I specifically remember, um, just being totally floored by, by the the visuals um and i i remember actually you know talking to my dad like maybe a year or two later and asking well what what's going on with the space program because i saw people walking on walls and where's the big cartwheel in space and he's like you know that was a movie right and i'm like no no they were walking on the walls dad you can't do that unless you're in space <laughs> yeah, you know, as a kid, I thought he filmed everything in space. Sure. but uh, And he actually had the book, you know, the big, thick book about how mm-hmm. they made it. Mm-hmm. and gave it to me, and I read it. And, I mean, a lot of it was over my head, but I was, you know, still like, wow. So so that's how they did that. Right. Um, Do you still yeah, have my it? original impressions were, uh, I have my, I don't have that, but I have the record. And another, you know, because I was, I was totally blown away by this thing. So I remember that Easter, I asked my parents for the album. I didn't want candy. I didn't want any of that stuff. I wanted <laughs> the 2001 soundtrack for Easter, and I got it. And I remember going to school and, like, showing people, and my music teacher actually put it on, and she was talking about Strauss and all this. And I'm like, no, this is space music. You know, I was there. I saw it. This is space right. music. But, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, now, I can't. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you mentioned uh, creating a scrapbook when you were six mm-hmm. or, or shortly thereafter and uh, subscribing to the Man in the Moon newsletters. Right. So, Man in uh, Space, yeah. Man in Space, sorry. The, uh, the, 
did I say Man in the Moon? We're not talking about Georges Méliès. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Which is I was wonderful on its own. Yeah. Oh no question. Um, uh, I was going to ask you if uh, you had, as a kid, like tried your hand at making uh, any replicas of two thousand one. And, uh, like, were you a model maker at a certain age? Um, I was a kit builder. Right. Um, so, yeah, I bought, you know, I actually had a really sweet deal with a hobby store. And basically, I just would go in there and grab whatever model I wanted, built it up, and then they'd display it. Because they're like, look, this kid's like eight years old, and he's doing this. So, um, I had all sorts of models. And most of them were World War II aircraft and crazy hot rods, like the Barris stuff and you know Ed Roth and all the rest of that. If the, the crazier the show car was, the more I loved it. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of kit building. My dad was an amazing model maker. He used airbrushes and all this, and taught me how to use his old Binks brass airbrush when I was like six or seven. You know? Oh wow, how cool! So I jumped into it pretty early. Wow. Um, was there a point when you made the switch from, uh, you know, doing hot rods and such to wanting to do something more space oriented with your models? Uh, well, cause I had so many kits, I discovered pretty much on my own how to kit bash. Right. So I was making all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, and long before I understood that what greebleys were and, I just kind of did it organically. I was like, well, mm. this looks cool. And if I stick this on that, you know, it kind of looks like it would work. Um, so, yeah, being a Got young kid, not knowing much about engineering, you can do all sorts of stuff. <laughs> sure, sure. Kludging it together, as they say. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, so I have to ask, when did you first think about getting involved with prop making and or recreating such authentic replicas professionally? Uh, professionally? I mean, I was doing my own stuff um, back in the mid to late 70s just because I wanted to. I, 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 I was born in Milwaukee. My parents moved to Sheboygan, which was this rural community, you mm -hmm. know, um, kind, of, kind of really was depressing for me because I had all my friends here and everything. Mm. Um, um, thankfully the, once I got into high school, my art teacher was like right out of college, this blonde, almost surfer dude, mm. Mr. Doolittle. And mm. I was making, I was making, I think I, my first full costume was <laughs> actually Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> and, uh, of course, yeah, it's the late seventies after all. My, right. Yeah. And it's, just like, oh, this guy's cool. I'm going to do that. And my, my parents knew all these woodworkers and leather workers. So, like, Pam helped me, like, make the boots out of leather and everything. They looked wow. awesome. The whole costume looked awesome. But it was this little skinny kid dressed up like Gene Simmons, you know? Sure. Whatever um, happened to this? And those? then Star Wars. I have no idea. Okay. And, and Star, so go on. Wars Star Wars, yeah. And then I did Darth Vader, and this is before they had any, like, Don Poe stuff. So I was mm -hmm. making my helmet out of, you know, Bondo, and I learned how to use plastic fillers and all this crazy stuff. And my art teacher was like, oh, this kid's crazy. This is awesome. So he sure. basically let me make all this stuff in the art room. And then I'd wear it, and, you know, all the jocks and all the rest of the guys were like, who's this crazy 
guy dressed up in right. like, this black Nazi outfit. <laughs> yes, he's <laughs> Nazi. Um, was your dad able to help then, you yeah, with, I, when you were when you were working on any of that stuff? Because you mentioned um, him. Not, not really. He was there mostly. Is he? You know, he had a lot of, on his plate. Mm. So I was, I was, you know, I kept myself busy and I kept myself safe and I, you know, stayed out of jail and, uh, you know, Good basically lad. made all this stuff because I wanted to do it. Though I didn't know about science fiction conventions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I spent a summer in Milwaukee and I brought all the stuff with me and I like I was doing costume contests and winning and breathing fire on stage and having the fire marshals come out and yell at me, but it was too late because I already won. And, you know, it was, just, it was crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. And uh, sure. so I, I basically just moved to Milwaukee when I was 16. Um, and my parents pretty much let me. There's a family here that pretty much adopted me, pretty much. I got myself into school and got a job. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay here. Hmm. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I did the alien critter oh, wow. um, from the first movie, which sure. was pretty involved for a 16, 17-year-old and caught the eye of some of the sci-fi people at UWM. And I think I met them when I was wearing my Vader costume and they came up to me and they were taking pictures and they were like, who is this guy? Where did yeah. you get this? And then yeah. I was like, they're like, you're just a kid. <laughs> but they were cool. They didn't. They didn't talk down to me. They embraced it. They, mm. you know, let me into their college little group, and it was just I couldn't believe it. You know, it just it was such a change from being in in, in Plymouth, where if you're not in Future Farmers of America or a Jack right. or nobody, right, right. Um, so how did that, I, yeah, it just snowballed from there. Um, how did, professionally, how did that, I didn't really start yeah. doing stuff professionally until like 2005. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, it was a long time. So somewhere in that timeline, uh, you must have decided uh, to recreate your own authentic EVA spacesuit and helmet. So my question is, were you commissioned or was it originally like a passion project that took on a life of its own? Um, well, okay. So I've uh, met a lot of people and one of them, um, once I got into Acme design, which is where I'm still working, um, we do, um, we do pro rapid prototyping. We do a lot of trade shows. So I was working with a lot of materials that I hadn't in the past and learned how to mold and cast and, you know, use bridge ports and machining and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, we actually had a prop group because we're all nerds, right? Of course. <laughs> and uh, so the first Saturday of every month, we got together and we would talk about projects. And that's how I like I got hooked up with uh, the guys who are now running the Novos. They were in our prop group. Mm. And uh, um, we started doing the Battlestar Galactica stuff from the reboot. So oh, I cool. did all the helmets and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, and the other guys were mostly working on the suits, and I had I'd made uh, a three foot version of George Powell's War Machine. It was lighted and everything. Wow! Uh, I did 
Uh, some of my, my passion projects were some of the more peripheral George Barris hot rods. So I did some 118th scale models of those. I did the two cars from The Great Race, the Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis oh, yeah. movie, which, again, was like this amazing movie that I loved as a kid. Nobody ever made any model kits of the cars. And I'm right. like, well, the heck with this. I'm going to do it myself. Right, right. Um, so I was at Wonderfest in 2006 and my friend Tony Hardy who's uh, a huge collector and he works for IMAX so he knows all these industry people sure and he brought Greg Nicotero um, oh wow the uh, yeah the oh. producer of uh, The Walking Dead he's and a legend he, you know he does all the effects for yeah he does all the effects for the you know Tarantino movies and everything yeah no he's got a very and impressive so resume him yeah, exactly. So he, he brings this guy over to my table, and he's, like, scoping it out, and he's like, wow, that's really amazing. Oh, you did this, and we saw the helmets and everything, which were all fiberglass. And he's like, you do really, really good work. Um, I got this side project. I was like, okay. <laughs> he's like, have you ever seen a movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey? And I was like, this is a trick question, right? Have you ever seen 2001? Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, no, seriously, I'm um, I'm building the pod, one-to-one scale, the space pod from 2001 in my shop. And he showed me some pictures, and I was just, like, dumbstruck. Sure. Like, oh, who's this guy? You know? Right, right, <laughs> right. I'm like, this guy's building a pod. And uh, he's like, I want to have um, um, somebody do the spacesuit from 2001. Uh, would you be interested? And I was like, geez, I'd love to, you know, like. I kind of got a full plate. I'd love to do it. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, I guess, yeah. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, I have the helmet. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I've got, I've got, um, I've got one of the helmets and I'll send it to you. And I was like, well, that was a deal closer right there. I'm like, hell yeah. Right. You know, I mean, who in the industry does this? Oh, I've got a 2001 helmet. I'm going to send it to you so that you can, you know, use that. And, yeah, so after, after after coming to your table, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Just, you know, like in 20 minutes, I'm setting up this deal that's going to basically run my life for the next 15 years. I was going to say, life-changing um, moment. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it was just like, it was this, and, you know, as we talked, I mean, the, the people that I met and the experiences that I had because of this project, I never would have guessed. I would have been like, oh, I'm going to do one for me, maybe one for Tony and one for, you know, Nicotero, and that's going to be the end of it. Mm. Um, that's not exactly what happened. Right. But yeah. Right. I mean, he, he's really the guy who started it all. Tony's the guy who introduced me. He changed my life. Mm. Um, and, you know, Tony was always one of these guys who's like, whatever I made, he bought. So he kind of like kept me going mm. um, on the side doing these projects. Sure. But, uh, yeah, 2001 suit was a game changer. So, well, I mean, well, that brings me to another question. Obviously, what you're describing, you know, uh, how you got involved, that took place, mm-hmm. you know, but it, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't say before the days of Google, but not like it is now with the deep diving and all that. So once, oh, sure. once those pieces were in place, uh, did your research on finding out uh, – details on the original specs for the spacesuit and helmet um where where did that take you how were you able to 
begin the groundwork, so to speak. Right. Well, each piece kind of evolved over time. Um, I did, uh, I did the helmet. I did the front pack and the backpack. The helmet, obviously, I mean, I had the, the providence of the helmet is actually Greg Jean, the guy who did most of the effects and model work for 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was recreating the suit, he got the archive helmet pull from MGM. And that's what I had. That's oh, what wow. Luca Terrell gave me. So I had this thing. I mean, this is one of the Holy Grail pieces, you know. And I mean, I could have probably tried to do it out of my own head using photos and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when I talked to Adam Savage, he's like, every time I try to do something from photos, it either turns out 10% larger or 10% smaller. Mm, because you're never really sure, you know. You're trying to triangulate and, you know, you got the parallax from the the lenses to deal with and it's such a wonky shape too you look at it and it's just like this this is it's definitely 60s you know it is yeah yeah and then like when i got into my hand i was almost kind of stunned i'm like well that's what it looks like you know seeing it in 3d it's like oh okay i get it now yeah yeah um Um, so i mean i i did that and i had some reference but as time went on, I mean, like, the helmet was pretty much the real thing. The front and backpack were pretty much all me. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, in, in uh, I think it was uh, Profiles in History in 2011, they actually came up with a front pack. Okay. You know, they found one of the Discovery front packs. Oh, wow. And, of course, then I'd been talking to all these people and people that Tony knew, like Gene Kazicki and McFarlane and all these guys used to work for industrial light magic. Right. Right. You know, they went, they, they're usually on hand at, to go to profiles and authenticate stuff. So they all go over there with their digital protractors and their, their, their cameras and are doing this huge photo survey of the front pack. And because they're kind of my clients and I'm helping them do stuff, they send me like a hundred photos of the front back and I had to make it all over again, but I had digital protractors on the thing, color matched it, figured out what the buckles were. I mean, I was just banging my head against the wall trying to figure out what those buckles were. And they're from an ejection seat from a, you know, vampire to Havilland vampire and the control sticks out <laughs> of the Havilland vampire and all this aerospace <laughs> stuff that, you know, it's like if it wasn't for them, I could have gotten close. Right. But this was just, you know, and again, it's like all these people just came together and they were just so generous and just, hey, here it is. All you need. Sure, sure. I mean, that's cool because that's also proof positive that Kubrick's, you know, effects team was, you know, like you, kind of kludging things together in order to uh, yeah, come I mean, up with the finish. You, you had access to this stuff, right. you know. I mean, I mean, they still do it to to this day. I mean, you could go to like army surplus and find stuff. Not so mm-hmm. much now, but right. You know, when I was growing up, my mom, my dad, and I had gone to army surplus, and they had like cluster bombs that you could buy the insides yeah. of, and, and it's like, yeah, I don't think you can do that anymore. No, but, I remember those um, days. We had a few shops like that um, around here when I was growing up, and I I spent yeah, ood- oodles of time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's where, you know, we went as teens to get our first camo jacket, you know, mm-hmm. off the rack and you knew it was worn by somebody in, in the service. 
Um, so yeah, the, the the big holdout was really the suit. I couldn't really tell what the suit was made out of. Right. Um, I did my the prototype, which is actually the one that's on display at uh, the museum in New York. Museum of the Moving um, Image. Museum of the Moving right. M- Image. Yeah, um, that one's actually clothing weight deer skin. Because um, to me, it looked like it was leather. It looked like it was quilted leather. Right. You know. And so I was just going on my experience and I don't really sew. So mm-hmm. I had to, I had to, I had to hand this off. My significant other is actually a geek too, but she's stuck in the middle ages and I'm future boy. <laughs> um, she's in the, the SCA society for creative anachronism. Oh, cool. Uh, so, I get it. You yeah. know, it's a middle ages kind of thing. Right. But right. It's right. Not like the rent fair. It's a closed group. Um, so they had all of these, um, costumers who were just magnificent, you know, and they did all this in-depth research, you know, talk about river, rivet counters. These people are just yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. obsessive. And this one girl, Melanie, uh, Melanie Schulster, um, she, uh, she got a laurel for doing costuming. And so I, I basically brought this project to her. I'm like, you're so awesome. You're so great. Love your stuff. Would you do a big jumpsuit with lots of quilting on it for me? And I'll pay you for it. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I got her involved. Um, and my friend Cindy McCollin, she went and actually found the quilter. So a lot of people came to the came to the table to kind of put this together. Um, oh, that's right. Melanie Schuster is now Melanie Bond. I should probably say that. So, um, so yeah, she, I mean, I, I gave this project to her and I had screen caps and I had drawings mm-hmm. and she knocked it out of the park, man. And all that cool thing, she did that by hand, you know? Wow. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I try to give her props whenever I can. Even yeah. send her like, Hey, your stuff's in the Kubrick exhibit. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I bet she loves that. Um, I, would, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. But then I found, yeah, then I got a quilter through Cindy. And so that helped a lot because there was no way, uh, there's no way I was going to do all of that. Right. How long I'm, did it I'm take really him to work doing, on that? Um, I think she worked on it for like two years wow. on and off, you know, because mm-hmm. again, you know, she's, she's, she's got a job and all the rest of it. this was a side thing for her, but she made the pattern too. So I could take that and it could take it to somebody else who could size it or, you know, alter it like what we did for Savage. Um, gotcha. Hey, I get the rivet, yeah, ca- I get the rivet counters reference, by the way, I'm a lifelong, oh, yeah. I'm a lifelong Titanophile. Uh, they found right, the, yeah, they found exactly. the wreck the, the week I started high school in the first week of September mm-hmm. in 85. I'll never forget. Um, but uh, I digress. The 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 thing about the uh, suit and helmet's evolution, mm-hmm. uh, I I wouldn't want to forget to ask is along the way, um, did you experiment with different uh, scales and materials? Did you try and make smaller versions at any point along the way? No, no, no. There there's there's plenty of guys out there who were doing um, Scott Alexander. He's the guy who did the discovery that was hanging up at mm-hmm. the museum. Mm-hmm. You know, and he did like the pod and he did figures and stuff like that. And I just didn't have the time. I never really delved into any different scales on this project. I was so involved with trying to do it one to one 
I just I don't have a life anymore, really. <laughs> <laughs> that makes two of us or three of us. No, I'm kidding. If yeah, probably. No, Ste- right? Stephen has a life. In this stuff, and you're yeah, just, uh, it's overwhelming. I'm like, this is a hobby. This is supposed to be a hobby. Now it's a job. You know. Let me ask a a a, a simpler question uh, of sorts, which well, which is just like, when did you feel you'd gotten close to achieving? Uh, your life-sized replica? Um, well, I think the first time it was just coming together where I'm like, I need to do the whole thing was in 2008 at Wonderfest in Kentucky. And, uh, I really pushed to have, that's when I had the front pack, the backpack and the helmet on display. Mm. And Tony did a great job putting a whole 2001 thing and planet of the apes and, all this stuff together. And they had Cure Delay and Gary Lockwood there. So I'm like, oh, I have to make this happen, you know? And it was, it was great. I mean, I had, you know, Cure Delay, like, wore the helmet. And all the geeks are going nuts. And I'm just staring at him going, he's wearing my helmet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was like this. It was so hilarious because, um, like, he's like, I'm going to put it on. And, and Gary's like, are you sure you want to do that? And so he sticks <laughs> it on. And he starts yelling for his wife. He's like, Maya, <laughs> just take a picture. And then Lockwood goes, Maya, look, your husband's reliving his youth. Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah, it was great. And there was, like, this guy who was there, and he was filming the whole thing. I didn't even know he was there. And he gave me a copy. And it's like, that's. That's my antidepressant right there. Yeah, I, I start man. feeling bad. I put on those videos and I'm like, shit, this is pretty awesome, you know? So how were you first able to get the specific details on the exact materials used by Kubrick's team uh, for the EVA suit and helmet? And, um, mm-hmm. and do you recall when your final version of the replica using those materials began to take mm-hmm. shape? As far as materials, um, a lot of it's pretty much self-explanatory. You look at it and you're like, okay, that's polished aluminum. And obviously the helmets are made out of fiberglass. And a lot of it, I was just going off of what I know the industry uses because it can make molds and it can make parts that are pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the only thing I really I was hung up on were a couple of the buckles and uh, the actual material of the suit, which I didn't find out until I went to Lackham in Los Angeles to see the exhibit and then just did a huge photo survey of the suit and I figured it out. Um, but everything else was because, you know, people in the industry and people in ex-guys from Industrial Light and Magic and whatever were just so helpful um, you know, I'd have a question and they're like, we'll get back to you on that. You know, and like two weeks later, they're like, yeah, that's out of a vampire jet, you know, or whatever. Wow. Cause they know all these guys. Sure. Um, um, now the closest I ever got to seeing the real things was, you know, going to the Kubrick exhibit and seeing what they had on display. No. And then you ended up and, getting uh, your own you know, thing in the it, exhibit, which is no small well yeah i never again that's one of those things where it's like pinch me i mean how did this happen Mm. Um, it's got a life of its own really i mean it's it's out there 
And uh, again, it's like because of Tony and Adam and the rest of these guys hawking my stuff because I wasn't out doing it. I mean, I'm all about shameless self-promotion, but I'm just not very good at it, you know? I got a little YouTube thing and my Facebook and my Flickr account. And, you know, I have have way, so many people get a hold of me just because of that. Sure. Um, I was like, okay, so here's a small little story about trying to accurate. To, you know, make the stuff as accurate as possible. So the neck ring on the helmet, the um, milled aluminum, and I did a pretty good job again from photos. And mm-hmm. then I had this guy who I met when I was out in Los Angeles, um, who's on the board of directors at the um, JPL, uh, Jet Propulsion Labs, out there, mm-hmm. and he's a huge 2001 fan, and he went Shocker. to the <laughs> Yeah, he went to the uh, um, he went to the uh, Kubrick exhibit, and he's like, "Yeah, I was looking at the, your ring, and I, I I don't think you're really there yet." So he went and took the time to write out and figure out what he thought the measurements were, and he sent it to me. And he's like, "Well, when you do mine, could you do it this way?" And I'm like, "This guy sends stuff to Mars." Of course I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, when I saw the real thing, I'm like, yep, he was right. You know? Wow. Sure. So, yeah, again, it's just like, because I, you know, I'm working all the time. I'm mm-hmm. making, you know, full-size elephants with zebra stripes and all sorts of crazy stuff for, for trade shows and whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to, like, just pick up. And I wish I could, you know. I just, I'm not yeah. independently wealthy and I don't have that, I don't have that ability. So I'm, I'm really happy when, you know, folks come around and they're just so generous with their information and everything. Yeah. Well, um, all, all artists need a, a patron as they say. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and what's great about the internet is, you know, before the internet, I was just some schmuck in Wisconsin making, you know, <laughs> cosplay level stuff and, you know, because of the internet, I, it's just all to, you know, it's another level. It's, it's, you want it to look like it walked off the screen. Right. Right. And, uh, well, I, I a lot of, you know, the Galactica stuff was really awesome. It looked just like it and all the rest of it, but you know, Battlestar Galactica is in 2001. So. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. But I, I imagine since you brought up the, uh, the internet age, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that it's responsible, at least in part, for uh, helping uh, get your EVA suit and helmet brought to the attention of Adam Savage and uh, Jamie Heineman of you know right. the, the wildly popular TV show Mythbusters. Is for that sure. is is? Do you recall how that came about? Oh, how could I forget? Yeah, he actually got a hold of me on through email, and I have all this stuff still. <laughs> And he's like, I saw your stuff. It's really awesome. Um, do you think you'd make a couple of them for me? And I'm like, try to stop me. Who do I have to kill? And what was nice, <laughs> well, and the thing was, I didn't know at the time when I when I agreed to do it that he wanted the Clavius suits. Now, I already planned on doing the Clavius suits, but I wasn't even finished with my discovery yet. So I had to like <laughs> switch gears and like, okay, so I'm doing this now. Right. Um, but, you know, dealing with him was, was so awesome. And my grandsons were just, 
you know, huge Mythbusters fans, of course, because they're kids and they sure. like watching stuff blow up and they like sure. science. And right. then they're like, you're doing stuff for Adam Savage. You know, I was a big, I was a big thing in the third grade. But, um, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, which... the, the, fact, the fact that he got a hold of me and that, you know, he had the money to like push it to the next level and, you know, he was just so good at, at like, we laid down the timeline and what he wanted to use it for. And, um, you know, it's like he actually got John Goodson, who's uh, also um, ex-ILM, Industrial Light Magic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to do the backpack for his suits. And then I cut him a deal with, uh, you know, paying for the two suits. And I'm like, I get me that backpack, you know, because then I don't have to do it. Right. This guy's Industrial Light and Magic. He's one of the guys who helped um, restore the original TV Enterprise down at the Smithsonian. Guy knows what he's doing, you know. Wow. Like, why should I recreate this whole thing? You're going to mm-hmm. make a couple of these things. You're going to have the pattern. You're going to have the mold. And so, yeah, he, he sent all that stuff to me. And so now I've got a guy from Industrial Light Magic helping me make this spacesuit. Wow. And I'm like, what? You know? So it sounds to me like uh, your experience uh, on Mythbusters was obviously great. Um, was Adam as passionate about 2001 and Kubrick in general as you? Well, because he's in the industry, he's probably more into it than I am on a technical side. Um because I mean, he does this stuff for a living. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were like kindred spirits. I, I went to his man cave when I dropped off the helmet and we just sat there and went through books and notes and our research and we're got going back and forth. And I, I lent him the front pack for him to make measurements off of and stuff. And it was just like, you know, we were like long lost brothers. It was just, I, he has that, he has that, that, that gift of whenever he's talking to you, he's just like, his eyes are locked on you. And it's just like, it's, it's an amazing feeling and just meeting somebody that you've watched on television for so long. And then there he is, you know, right, it's always right. kind of weird, but uh, he was just so nice and just so enthusiastic about it. He had nothing but praise on what I did and was just blown away by you know, it's like, well, this thing is, this isn't paint. This is gel coat. You're kidding. This is gel coat. You actually just polished gel coat. You know, it was just like, yeah, you couldn't ask. <laughs> I always say it's like, there's no money in making fake spacesuits, but right. if you get the right one, it, it gives you well, access to people. You never thought you would You develop friendships. You never thought you would. I mean, I got so much out of it. That isn't monetary, like being in the Kubrick exhibit. Sure. You um, can't buy that. Yeah, you know, it either I get it. Or it doesn't, so. I, I get it. It's awesome. Did you and uh, uh, Adam have any conversations specific to Stanley Kubrick? Um, when you were chilling no, in the, the man you know, cave? The usual. Yeah, just, just the usual. You know, the guy's a genius, the best looking helmet ever, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just. Stuff like that, you know, uh, Fred Ordway and, and Harry Lang, you know, just their just their sense of style and making things look beautiful but still functional. Right. I mean, there's no way you could wear that spacesuit in space. I mean, right. it's, it's like the gloves <laughs> are just, they're so thin, 
you look at a real space glove and it looks like a hockey mitt. You know? It does. It does. <laughs> but it's a movie. You know, it's 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 supposed to be like a progressive futurism, and they went to those types of levels, but still, it was a work of art. You know. Absolutely. So um, you've you've touched upon this already, but. Can you list uh, some of the specific materials you use to faithfully recreate your finished version? And did you, you know, have difficulty accessing certain tools for, say, molding plastics, uh, fiberglass, and metalworks? Uh, as far as like tooling, I have all that at my disposal. Of course you I mean, do. <laughs> the shop I work at, yeah, we do rotocasting, we do fiberglass, we do metalwork, we do costuming. Um, do you, are you a fan of Sven Gulli, the horror host here in Chicago? I've heard the name. Show? I've heard the name. I okay, can't well, say we, as I have yeah, seen the Acme, show. Yeah, Acme did his entire new set and his coffin. And... Mike? <clears throat> Mike, are you there? We lost. Have we lost him? Uh, it's possible. <clears> hmm. <throat> want to ring him back? He still seems connected. Mike, if you're there, we're having a hard. We can't hear you any anymore. Mm, it's connected here. Well, that was weird. Oh, no, it's all good. We got your back. All right, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I, I've got my phone plugged in, and it's got a full charge. It's just the, the Easter decided to mess with us. <laughs> Where the it's, heck was I? Um, um, so, yeah, the shop. You were um, mentioning the shop, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. You, you so, have everything. And, yeah, the maker space. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, if... Uh, if, if you have a makerspace in your area and you like doing this kind of stuff, you can meet so many kindred spirits there. They're all geeks. They're all nerds. They're just on different levels. Right. And you get, you know, you get access to things and machinery um, that otherwise you wouldn't have the space or the money to, 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 to use. So I'm, I'm big on giving uh, makerspace props. Sure. So when did you first introduce your finished recreation to the public? Was it via the internet? Uh, jeepers. Um, it's probably 2014 when I had my discovery suit finished, and that was at Wonderfest. Uh, I don't do as many conventions as I'd like to because, again, I mean, I, I'm, I'm spending most of my time working for a living and making space take spacesuits for other people. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, that was probably it. And, uh, you know, and then of course the internet, just putting stuff out there, you just, just meet all sorts of people who are sure. like mind. Yeah. I did see and a of course video. With Adam having, you know, a real astronaut wear the thing on his space on, on his, uh, yeah, that's, incognito walk. That's next that level mind blower too. Yeah. Sure. That definitely. Just, next level. Oh my stuff. God. Yeah. I remember him sending me an email and he's like, this is the year you're going to have to watch. And I'm like, what's he going to do? Cause I had no idea who the other person was. I just knew his measurements were different than Adam. And I had mm -hmm. to find somebody, um, to actually make, um, fit his suit to those measurements. And, um, one of the ladies at, uh, 
at Makerspace um, helped me because she could size things. So that was her, her job was to make his suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then all of a sudden he's like, and, you know, the guy I'm bringing along is a real astronaut. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, it's not just any astronaut. It's Chris Hadfield. Right. Who, you know, was the guy who was commander of the International Space Station mm-hmm, and did the mm-hmm. Bowie cover. So he yeah. was already a hero of mine. Sure. So I was just like, oh, you gotta be kidding. Next so, level. Yeah, that was pretty My, epic. You must have been mind blown. Yeah, it, it. I was. I was on a high for like, like a week. I just couldn't believe it. That's it so cool. Amazing. Again, well, it's like, who would think, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, the old axiom is true. It's like you know, I think Woody Allen said, ninety percent of life is just showing up. Yeah. No, and, and that's right. And it's not just showing up, but it's talking and networking with people. Yeah, it's like you know? it's like the Jersey Kaczynski novel and the great Peter Sellers film being there. Like you have to be there in life, and if you right. do, once you are, you know, it's amazing yeah. how doors can open themselves. Right. Yeah. So spe- I mean, speaking a lot of, of which, who don't get out. Sure. Go ahead. No, it's cool. You were going to say, um, just a lot of. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people who do cosplay and stuff who don't really, you know, hawk their stuff um, as well as they should. Model mm-hmm. makers are the same way. We're all just kind of introverts in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for us to get out and kind of like, you know, this is what I am and this is what I do. Because, you know, like I said, I'm a child of the 60s and being a geek was not a fun thing. Right. It's not like it is now where right. like we run the world. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was, you didn't really want people to know. I mean, I, yeah. I did, I did illustration and stuff. I worked for TSR Dungeons and Dragons. So, I mean, I was in a different level. Oh, that's cool. As hell. I could do fine art. I could do illustration. I could do sculpting. And mm-hmm. then on the side, I dressed up like Jesus, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, you know, there's my professional <laughs> persona and then there's the stuff I do on the weekends at sci-fi conventions in Illinois, you know. Sure. Um, and those two were pretty separate for a long way, you know. But, yeah. Uh, well, it's as, hard. It's hard. Yeah. But you made it happen. And, you know, as a result of being there and, you know, mm-hmm. having those doors open for you to walk through. Um, right. At some point, the Deutsche Film Museum in Germany and the Stanley Kubrick Archives Traveling Ep- Exhibition uh, mm-hmm. must have became aware of what you'd made. Tell us about right. that experience. Um, I have to give most of that to Adam, Adam Savage, because he's the guy, and I'm still not really sure whether or not they approached him to use one of the suits that we did, the Clavia suit. Or if they were just interested in having the discovery suit, and he's like, "Well, I know this guy, <laughs> and uh, he's the guy who made the introductions for me." So with him basically saying, "Well, if you want a 2001 suit, <laughs> this is the guy." Wow. Um, so they were totally open to it. They were more like, "Oh, we really want this thing. Can we make this happen?" So there wasn't really a, a process where they had to examine the faithfulness of, you know, what I was doing. They're like, well, if Adam Savage says it's good, then it must be good. And then I sent them pictures and they're like, yep, yep, that, that's what we want. So wow. that's how that all happened. That's pretty cool. I mean, to have them 
knocking at your door as right. opposed to, yeah. you know, saying, hey, right, I've got right. this thing and it's actually yep. worthy. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yep. The only other time I've had that happen is, is uh, before this, I made custom TVs for the designer market based on an old 50s TV called the Predicta. And like in the first couple of months, this is when the internet was just starting. It's like we did the prototype, we did some photos, we stuck it on the internet, and like in a month, we were in Time Magazine. It was like wham, bam, bam, because it was a cool thing. Everybody wanted to have it in their magazine, and I don't know what a full page in Wired goes for, but when they come to you and say, we want this, and we will do it for free, you say yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how soon do you need it? Yeah, that, exactly. That like, kind of get thing. that right to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. It must have been an amazing experience, and it was um, – it was really cool to see, to watch you see uh, your work on display at Museum of the Moving Image, which is where you and I met. And right. I, yeah, I can yeah, only yeah. imagine the, the, the feelings that must have been going through you. Well, when it was on, when it was on display in Germany, they did a really great job, of, but it was isolated. You know, it was like over in the corner and it was a great photo op. Everybody mm -hmm. took photos of it, which is great because I couldn't get to Germany. So I just grabbed everybody else's photos, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so yeah, I was, I was always looking forward to having it come to the United States so I could actually go there and then to come around the corner and seeing it displayed with the real screen use stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, it doesn't get any better than that. No, I'm it like, does holy not. smoke. It's there with the real thing. In fact, when uh, Doug Trumbull was there, we bumped into him, and, you know, I, I brought him over to the display so I could get a picture with him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I saw this when I came in. I was wondering how they got a whole 2001 Discovery suit. You know, because the helmet's over there. You know? Right, right. And I'm like, no, I made all that. And he's like, oh my god, I thought it was the real thing. And again, it's like that's the best. That's the best thing you want to hear. Is they even the experts were like, wow, yeah, where'd that come from? Praise you know? indeed, praise indeed. The, the, well, I mean, that's 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 almost too cool to lead into this. Uh, next rather nerdy question or, <laughs> or a technical one uh yeah. but nerds can be technicians and technicians can be nerds well you have to yeah, yeah. you have to you got to be part designer part uh, mechanic um it's uh it's I, I mean from where i started um, before i got into acne design to where i am now just because mm -hmm. of a level of of the the people that are there at the shop and being able to use the tooling and I mean I'm just I was like when I started at TSR from where I was as an illustrator to where I was when I left it's just magnitudes I think it's so cool it's that you were working doing, on you know yeah um I'm I'm sorry to step on that I just had to include since you mentioned being mm -hmm. involved with TSR and Dungeons and Dragons um, right. I was I was one of those teens absolutely mm -hmm. so knowing yep, now that yep. you were involved in that stuff that I was you know playing with is the wrong word but sure. we, we took it more seriously than that at the time um, yeah yeah that's that's exceptionally cool um, and that influenced a whole generation suffice it to say I don't think you'd have had the worldwide phenomenon of uh game of thrones for instance were it not for 
you know, what D&D brought Oh, Gary to... Gygax in his garage making this game? Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know? That's, That's what, what I'm talking about. And again, about. it was a couple of guys with a crazy idea who liked Lord of the Rings and dragons and medieval stuff. And they sure. made, you know, they made a huge impact on the world because of it. And yeah, a lot of the staff artists like, you know, Brom and Easley and, mm-hmm. you know, all these guys, they're still my friends. We still hang around. We still talk. I mean, Jeff Easley, who is Mr. Dungeons and Dragons, he does all the dragons and all the, you know, he would go to Wonderfest and just hang around and buy model kits and talk to people, you know? It's just, uh. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, um, this is, uh, uh, the, this is the technical question. Mm-hmm. Ballpark. What percentage of your EVA spacesuit and helmet is true to the original materials used for 2001? And did you have to improvise any other bits you haven't mentioned, say out of necessity? Um, what percentage? Well, I mean, the one that's on display is pretty much the same materials and everything. You know, it's, it's, it's real metal work. It's fiberglass. The suit itself, um, because of necessity and I didn't really know what the original was. Um, I made it out of uh, leather. I've have sense, um, since I did the photo survey at uh, when I was in um, LA, I found out that it was basically clothing or it was uh, a knit backed vinyl. And it's very, very thin. Mm. Almost like if you remember like um, the, the cheap vinyl, um, uh, like the baseball gloves, pleather. No, no, no. The, no, it wasn't, it's not <laughs> pleather. It's uh it's like what you would use when you went on picnics and stuff. It was like this tabletop. Oh, of course. Yeah. That were yeah. like this really thin vinyl with like a knit backing for spring, yep. but yep. really lightweight. That's what that, that's what it's made out of. At least the silver one is. And then of course it's got a lot of batting and everything for the quilting, but I could tell just by zooming in on the, the parts of the suit it started to decay probably because it had been painted so many times that suit, I found evidence of yellow blue and red uh, underneath the silver. Oh, how so it's been painted at least four times. Wow. And I'm sure they're probably using like, you know, um, lacquers to paint mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So it started to attack the material and it's starting to fluff off and uh, degrade. Um, well, the one you have but, on, uh, on you exhibit know. with the deerskin, uh, right. you know, suit, it's, you know, for our listeners, it just is not get any better if you want to see something as incredible and authentic looking as you see on the screen when you watch 2001 you know we can only implore you to you know stop what you're doing and get to <laughs> the exhibition wherever it may oh, be yeah, when you absolutely. hear this I mean, there's, there's so much there um and every year they find more mm. and uh you know, it's just getting just getting bigger and bigger. And like I said, uh, Nicotero built the, a full size space pod, which we had on display um, last year or the year before in Washington D.C. at uh, Skate Velocity the convention there. And I mean, it's a full size space pod. Yeah. You know, and I had my silver Clavius suit next to it, 
But just to see this thing in one-to-one scale is amazing. And I'm trying to get the Kubrick people to next time, you know, the next, uh, I mean, exhibit to get that into um, the queue. Yeah, it should be in there. Uh, because even people who even people who have been to the 2001 exhibit, they're going to want to see that. Of it's course. Just, it, when it comes to, like, recreating things, that's about as good as you can get. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I don't say this lightly or often, but I was in awe when I stood there looking at what you'd made, man. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. It, it, it's just, you know, one of those things, people, you have to see it to mm-hmm. believe it. Um, right. So I'm wondering how well, like you... Adam, Adam said to me once, he's like, you know, prop collecting is mostly an exercise and disappointment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, even when you see like, like the old Star Trek props, you're like, really? That's what it looked like. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like that, that looks like it came out of a, a kid's toy chest, you know? Yeah. Right. But nowadays, everything has got to be so hyper you know, realistic and the paint jobs is just so amazing because, you know, everything's high def now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say that, but yeah, I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it's the truth, man. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's second to none. And as a lifelong, you know, Kubrick and 2001 fan that it was just like, right. You know, it's, it's yeah, next, yeah. next, next closest thing to touching the original monolith. Say, Right. I yeah, mean, I always I I tell people I'm like I got half the Kubrick exhibit in my studio, you know. It's like I I got the two suits, I've got the, a turntable from Clockwork Orange, and nice. you know, the old transcriptor because I I loved it. I saw Clockwork Orange and I'm like, oh, that turntable because I'm an audiophile. I'm a Beatles Same. Nut, so it's like, oh, Same. I gotta have that turntable. So I went to Bang and Olsen's and I'm like, do you know what this is? And they're like, oh yeah, we can. We can probably get one of those and i'm like good because when you do let me know and i bought it and wow it's, it's a glass case just like the one that's in clockwork orange mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i had it i had it signed by malcolm mcdowell you know it's just oh no shit and I got, that's so cool i got two spaces it's just <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's yeah weird being in that space you know yeah, you don't have to travel far yeah. to get to your own Stanley Kubrick exhibition. Nope, 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 not at all. <laughs> well, since you mentioned, uh, you know, making the the Clavia suit as well as, mm-hmm. of course, the EVA, uh, ha- have you ever made or thought about making uh, more than uh, the one on display, t- you know, to the same exacting specs? Uh, well, for myself, I'm pretty much happy with having the red discovery and then a silver clavius um i might end up making a green helmet because nobody's asked for one yet Mm -hmm. and that's pretty iconic too yeah definitely but um yeah i mean you can only have so much space for screen use stuff and it just starts taking over your house yeah well, if you if you, um, if you if you need space for an extra green helmet or two, oh sure, oh you yeah, got a couple got, guys on the line. You got a couple yeah, guys on the people. line. It will definitely <laughs> take them off your hands <laughs> and promote we'll them liberally. Nice put them. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure I can find space in my tiny apartment uh-huh. and put them on uh, yeah. on, on well, blast on social media. Like you know, the helmet's just such a standalone piece. It is. You know? It is. It's like all you really need is that helmet, man. And I agree. Like Adam I agree. says, he's like it's it's the best it's the best 
space helmet ever. And I, I, I think he's right. I agree. Um, you know, and you know, as a follow up, you know, we can only imagine the price that you could get for the, you know, for these things from say wealthy collectors and given sure. your and you know, with your attention to such detailed handcrafting, it's clear that no assembly line type of production could simply churn these out. But have you considered making more of them, perhaps even for other museums, if you were commissioned? Um, well, right now I have at least 10 commissions that I'm working on, actually, for exactly that thing. How, oh, wow. Um, How do so, those yeah, come about? Which is why I have no life. Um, <laughs> Don't say that. Yeah, so I mean, I've I've been able to get the helmets to them. I got the front packs to them, and I'm pretty close this year. I'm definitely going to get these suits out of my life. Right. Um, the suits have been really difficult because, like I said, I don't sew, so I have to I have to find people who understand that I want this to look like Kubrick's shop made it. This isn't a Halloween costume. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's definitely a learning curve, but I found some really talented people and they've helped me out. And my life has just gotten just more complicated. Well, in a good way, in a good way. Well, that of course, you know, you know, you know, know, my parents are getting older and, Mm -hmm. you know, the life has just gotten, when I started this in 2006 to now, my amount of free time has pretty much been cut in half. Yeah. So, um, I, well, so, you know, if, if somebody like, if somebody like Doug Trumbull said, you know, I'd really like one of these or better yet, Tom Hanks, because we all know Tom Hanks is a huge 2001 fan. If Tom Hanks ever came up to me and said, I'd really like one of these, Tom Hanks would have a spacesuit. <laughs> Okay, well, you you, you hang on to that thought, and I'm not I'm not going to divulge too much. But um, Uh-oh. yes, there's yes, there may be something there. So awesome. uh, I and, I, and I you promise that I'm a big fan. We're, yes, we will. I'll, uh, Mike, I'll, it's a good, it's a good job you found a wife before uh, 2006. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> been very well, and the thing is. Like I, I, I tell my friends, I'm like, mixed marriages don't work. If you're a geek, if you're a maker, if you're a creative, you got to find somebody else who's in the same thing. They don't have to do the same thing. Like I said, she's, she does illuminated manuscripts and things like that. And I do space suits. I mean, but we all understand what it takes to do it. And we right. all are like, you know, focused on, on, um, on our, on our hobbies to that extent where she understands if I'm downstairs working on this stuff, um, just being in the house means something. Well, sure. I mean, you that's know, your veritable so, yin yang right there. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I've been fortunate to date a few women who were artists, but in other fields. Mm-hmm. And, um, I forget who brought it to my attention, but the idea that, you know, in such cases, um, you know, two artists of different, uh, disciplines can always find common ground by discussing the process. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because and- it's all the same. You know, there's research, there's knowledge, there's the the, the learning curve. Um, but uh, as far as like doing these things, like uh, as a production, um, Winston Dunlop over at Executive Replicas, who did the one six scale 
um, Discovery and Clavius suits. He he and I have been talking, and we actually like signed a contract between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, he might be making the helmets. He does oh. have the license for it, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't heard a lot from him lately. Uh, he was also talking about doing the suits, and I mean, just truthfully, the amount of people who have the means to have a, spa- a fake spacesuit to this caliber, I think I have them all already. Mm-hmm. You know, I got mm-hmm. the JPL guy, and I've got the ILM guys, and I got, you know, the museums and stuff like that. So, I mean, there may be some out there, but I can't imagine what it would take to get it to the point where it would be cost effective. Right. You know, what would I sell my, my helmets for? Uh, I have them on display and, you know, just for a joke, I'm like, what do you think that'll cost? And they're like twice as much as what I sell them for. Wow. You know, but the thing is when I do something, cause I'm a fan, mm-hmm. you know, I don't do this. This isn't my living. Right. This is my, you know, a little side hustle. And, you know, cause I want it. Mm-hmm. Um, I look mm-hmm. at it and I'm like, well, what would I pay for it? What could I afford if, you know, if I had my, my, my gold card cleared, um, mm-hmm. and I really wanted this, how much would I pay? And yeah. it, it seems to be a lot less than other people because I don't have that kind of money, you know? Right. Well, I get, I get but, it. And you know, you, you said, you know, you do this, you know, this is your side hustle and obviously a passion right. project. There's really no money in, in it. What it's done is it has paid for some really good vacations and I get to meet some of my heroes like Greg Jean and Nicotero and, um, you know, uh, Kirdalea knows me by sight and, and you right. know, hanging out with Gary Lockwood and hearing about his old Hollywood gunslinger. Yeah. You know, his stories are just, Oh my God, they're just wonderful. You yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, it, again, it's like, you, you can't buy this. You just have to relish it when it happens. And, you know, like I was talking to some of the ILM guys and I'm like, they, they, the, the Aries model that came up for auction, they went down there and photo surveyed it and got Trumbull on Skype and were authenticating it. And, uh, Greg Jean was there and Greg, you know, going through the photos and, uh, Greg Jean, who did the close encounter ship and Star Trek and all, he's mm-hmm. a model maker. I'm a model maker, you know, so he's like my hero. Right. And they're showing people these pictures of the suits I was doing. And Greg Jean was like, wait a minute, go back. There's that front pack on that baby suit. Did somebody find one of those? And they're like, no, that's Mike. That's the guy he met last year. And he's like, <laughs> really? Because Greg Jean has almost an entire Clavius suit. He has everything but the front pack. And he hired me to make his front pack. Mm. So now I'm making a replica for his screen used suit. And then when I went out there to deliver it to him, out of the back of his car, he pulls out the backpack from 2001 Clavius suit and lets me photo survey, take measurements of it, and color matched it for me. I mean, uh, really? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> holy mackerel. Yeah. What a sweetheart, you know? He didn't have to do that. He did it because, you know, he knew I would get a super kick out of it. You know, well, bringing a $50,000 you know, movie prop into, 
you know, his favorite restaurant and just lets us just drool over it. It's just, yeah. <laughs> holy mackerel, you know? Sure. But you get to do it. And I mean, to bring it back to how you were describing doing this out of love and also the way that uh, life has granted us, you know, less time as we get older and our mm-hmm. um, our obligations grow. You know, and to bring it back to the Beatles, it's like, you know, I thought when you said that, I thought of John Lennon's lyric of life is what happens to you while you're busy while you're busy making other plans yeah yeah exactly so well speaking of speaking of other plans which you know you may or may not have ever considered and this is uh you know sort of a joke question but sort of not like you know have you made or do you plan on making any other faithful recreations from 2001 i ask because i mean surely there's a boardwalk or a fancy pier out there that could sell tickets to a life-size Discovery <laughs> One centrifuge, you know, either yeah. either by either by the Thames yeah. or Again. say, you know, I even, don't, I don't have. How about I the Jersey Shore? Pockets that deep, you know. <laughs> like I would be, I would love to be part of something like that. But I mean, I could just see all these tourists. Goes, I'd love to get. I'd love to get um, my buddy who did the uh, Moon Bus. Um, I'm trying to work out a deal so that, yeah, so that I I can, I can get them to either make one or let me make one of those. Um, and then the other one is space station five. Of course. Always loved that thing. The big cartwheel in space, you know, and I look at that thing and I'm like, all I have to do is a quarter of it. And the rest of it is just replicated, you know? Mm So it's in my head. I know how I would do it. I have the means. I have the tooling to do it. It's just getting around to it. And right now, I'm just buried making fake spacesuits, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I have no life. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I mean, I make the time for these things. You know, when I'm not at my job, keeping a roof over my head. Right. And yeah, I love yeah. it. I, and I love it. And I, I want to yeah. email you. I have uh, uh, a couple photos I took when I met Kier. Uh, I oh, actually, cool. I gave him, uh, I've, I've been a Lego enthusiast my whole life and oh, nice. I, out, out of my own bits and pieces, I created a very miniature space station five and it had just been oh, wow. on my shelf, uh, you know, and I had made little videos with the blue Danube playing behind mm-hmm. it and I, oh, I would nice. te- text it to friends, you know, as a joke, mostly sure. to be- bemuse ourselves and it had just been there on my shelf for the longest time. And when I knew I was going to meet Kier, almost as an afterthought, as I was leaving my apartment, I was like, grab that and give it to him. Bring that. And sure. I've got a, cu- a couple photos of him, you know, looking it over and mm-hmm. kind of regarding it, you know, in appreciation. And, right. um, you know, that's one of those things where you're just like, you know, I'm so happy i made that thing not to keep it for me right uh, you know although when i made it that was my only intention was just like you know this is how i've always staved off boredom you know by never being bored sure. i i just get involved with creative stuff i love to do and right. uh and then when the moment you know presented itself i was just like no that that's gonna belong to him from now on oh that's cool yeah 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 i've, I've thought about you know, like making a red helmet and a yellow helmet and giving it to the two of them. Um, but 
they're so labor intensive, Yeah, you know, and it's like, well, then that's just, that's a vanity project for me and I would love to do it. But I got all these guys who are just chomping at the bit to get their stuff. And I just, in my head, I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. You know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put my free time into getting this stuff done so I can have a life again. Sure. Um, and I, I don't know, have you, have you seen Steve Neal's uh, Space Station 5 model? It was on display um, in California. I think uh, Adam Savage talked him into making one. I might have uh, seen a Steve video. Neal. How do you, his last yeah. name is N-E-A-L or N-E-I-L? Uh, N-E-I-L-L. I okay. can send you his address and, and, and info as well. Please. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, he built a, a beautiful he he runs a company called SNG Studio in Ventura, California. Okay. And uh, it was on display. I think it's like a four footer, three and a half, something like that. So it's outside, you know, it's not it's not exactly like the original which was like six feet or something like that. It was re- is ridiculously huge. Right. But right. Uh, he did a great job under a very tight deadline and made it happen. And he, he also did the star child model. That I think uh, Adam has, um, he would also be a, a great guy to talk to because he's such an enthusiast and he's such an amazing uh, model maker. Oh, please um, contact him for yeah, us. And, and, totally. I will and, totally and do that. send, send uh, myself and oh, Steven an email as a follow up. Uh, yeah. His wife and, uh, Gary Lockwood are pretty tight too. So every once in a while we get to hang out with Lockwood when we come to town with, with Steve. Very cool. So that's always fun. Sure. But yeah, well, it's just, uh, I wish I lived in California, you know, I always say I'm just some schmuck in Wisconsin who makes fake space. No, don't say that, dude. What you've you go done to is California, amazing. California, it's like everything you've ever wanted to see or do. It's like, it's all there. Well, you, you know, know what? Yeah, I mean, you make a good point, but I have had this conversation with uh, a very dear friend, Scott Bross, and, and we were talking mm-hmm. about being, you know, artists in a world that's run by non-artists. And he made a very good point to me years ago that stayed with me. And he said, you know, look at it this way. If everybody in the world, you know, was creatively inclined and possessed some talent that made them stand out, what would make us unique? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was yeah. like it was like my experience when I went to Emerson College in Boston and prior to that okay. I was a kid who was just doing my own thing and obsessed with mm-hmm. creative projects and I remember, you know, joking with my parents after I moved up to Boston that was like suddenly every kid uh surrounding me is gifted and talented. I've got to up my game or something, you know. Right. Yeah, but it but it exactly. was good. It was like you know, someone throws a hat down in a ring for you in yep. life like that. Yep. You yep. you step up. You step up. Yeah, you got to take it. I mean, you know, otherwise you're a wuss. You know. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had a friend of mine, uh, father kind of father figure who uh, just passed away, and I remember um, being up at at his cottage with one of my best friends from high school. And he, he was looking at some of the crazy stuff I was doing. And he's like, you know what? I'll, I'll pay for you to, to, I'll pay for a one-way ticket to Hollywood for you. Cause I, I think that's where you need to be. And I right, looked at him right. and I was like, you're crazy, man. 
you know? Because I'm like, I don't know anybody in Hollywood. What am I going to do? The couch tour, you know? Mm. Be on well, the street in like a week. But, you know, in some weird way, um, like when we went to K&B and, and Nicotero was like, well, you know how to do this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, are you offering me a job? And I, I couldn't even do it if I wanted to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sleep on a floor and I'm not going to be the low guy in the totem pole, but you know, you know, and, and he's like, well, that's okay. Um, you can just work on my side projects. I'm like, well, in a way I made it to Hollywood because I'm doing this stuff for people in the industry, Absolutely. not in the industry, but I'm working for guys who are in the industry doing their side projects. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. That's, I, I mean, it's like, instead of going out there and risking everything, I just, I, I kind of sat on my hands and yeah, I mean, it kind of went out, but you know, in the end I ended up getting there and I'm safe. I got a good job and I'm doing all this cool stuff and mm. I'm getting to, to see and meet people I never thought I would. And like, you know, again, Greg Jean's like a hero of mine sure. and I was out there and my girlfriend just went through some cancer stuff and he gives her a, a freaking get well card with wow. a little, you know, yeah. like close encounter shit that he drew on it. I'm like, wow. what a wow. sweetheart, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, and that's like you said, in a way, you know, you did get to go to Hollywood and, you know, right. And, yeah. In a way. And, and not I, even, I not even vicariously, my... I would say not even vicariously. You know, my, when I was younger, my mom used to say, you know, honey, it's it's important to always be humble and uh, be appreciative of those who informed the person that you're becoming. But sometimes it is okay to pat yourself on the back. Sure. Yeah, because you're the one who did it. Right. You know, you can get all the positive, like, you know, Ken Stick saying, I'll buy you a ticket to Hollywood. Well, that's great. But then what do I do when I get there? You know, that's the thing. Right. I mean... I always say you can be as talented as, 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 as all get go, but a lot of it is just, you know, being out there networking and, and being there, getting to know these people. Yeah. Getting to know these people. And then they go, Oh my God, you're the guy. I went to one of Kaziki's geek parties, these ILM get togethers that he has every once in a while. And it's all invite only. So I'm meeting all these industrial people and sitting, being next to Dorothy Fontana, you know, DC Fontana and her husband and watching this old hammer film they worked on and doing the MST 3000 thing and just pinching myself. I'm like, how the hell did I get here? So listen, Mike, it's just been so cool. And, uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you, man. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh man, the pleasure is mine. Absolutely. I'm sure I speak on Stephen's behalf uh, in saying this is this is going to make a, a great show. Stephen, are you there? Yes, absolutely. I, I'll speak on my own behalf. Wonderful. Uh, yes, what a great <laughs> conversation. Very enlightening. It's uh, it's nice to hear some uh, some kind of a, t- a technical guest. Uh, you know, a creative like yourself, Mark. Uh, yes, that's been most enlightening. Thank you very much. Oh, great. thank you. I appreciate all the kind words and uh, actually. Uh, getting a hold of me and and making this happen. Well, that was a fascinating look into the world of a model maker and all-around talented and creative guy. Thanks to Mike Scott, 
and our marvellous host, Mr. Jason Furlong. Coming soon. Next episode, we will be speaking with Nora Brady herself. That's right, actress Gay Hamilton from Barry Lyndon. Here is a dedication to both Mike and Jason, who are massive Beatles fans. I'm Stephen Rigg. Tatty bye. Like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away Across the universe Pools of sorrow, waves of joy Are drifting through my opened mind Possessing and caressing me Wind inside a letterbox They tumble blindly As they make their way Across the universe Across the universe It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast. 
against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. These guys aren't scientists. They're making it up as they go along. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Come back soon. It was real nice talking to you. Bye. Over and out. This show comes to you from the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society.